Welcome to the Opinionated SEO, where we talk about recent news and updates in the digital marketing world of SEO, paid advertising, and social media that impact you as a marketer. I'll also throw some of my opinion into the mix. Today, I'll be recapping the Google Office Hours with Google's John Mueller from January 14th, 2022. As always, I'll provide a synopsis of the question and answer, my opinion, and a link to the question in the video. The video ran about an hour. I'll summarize this for you in about 15 minutes. We'll start with David's question about robots text files. They have an over 1500 line robot text file, which refers to HTML fragments and Ajax calls. Are there any negative SEO effects with such a large robots text file? And that's really what he was asking. I've got a really big file. Is there going to be any negative impact to that? And John said there aren't any direct negative SEO effects. But he did caution that a large file like that may be harder to maintain and would cause issues that you just don't realize. And so it seems like size doesn't matter. I guess it's more about how you use it. Next question, if we don't include the sitemap in the robots text file, is there any negative SEO implications? No. Any way of submitting a sitemap is equivalent to Google. The next question gets into the main part of the issue. How does Google handle non-user relevant HTML fragments and Ajax calls? Do they get into the index? John had a good response, and it's what I think works best. Test it out. Allow a portion to get crawled and see how Google reacts to it. What content is now being shown, and does that even matter? The amount of time spent in keeping Google from seeing these small things may not even matter. So do some testing, see what happens. If it really doesn't have a big impact, then just let it be and move on. Don't worry about your robot's text file or maintaining that. It might just be a wasted effort. And just continuing this, is there any guideline to the robot's text file as far as file size? And that would be a no. It's super easy to disallow the wrong one. And honestly, it's way easier to get in trouble with a robot's text file than you'd think. If you're technically inclined, the open source of the robots parser is on GitHub. I've linked it in the show notes and on the blog page. Also to the robotstext.org where you can see a lot of extra information and also a Google developer page. So go ahead and take a look at those if you are having any questions or issues about robots text files. Okay, we're on to heading text. How important is it to use hierarchy versus just however you want and just adjust the text size? Does size matter? Seems to be a thread today. The questioner looked at Google's own blogs and how they are structured, and John said, do not assume just because Google does it that it's the best way to do it. Google uses headings to understand the context of individual pieces of content. It can help if you have a hierarchy on the page. Usability and accessibility are also key reasons to use them. I found that using a single H1 and then mobile nested H2s and H3s really help make the page work well. With the passage update, I found that my sites do well for a lot of those H2s and 3s. The next question was about adding a new domain for a new service offering. How long until we start seeing the traffic looking like our current domain? And there isn't really a fixed time for that kind of change. If you are updating structure, content, and even offerings on a new domain, that can take a lot of time to process. Remember, John mentioned on the last couple office hours how it's all about the site quality as a whole, and those metrics take a while. 
And if you change everything like your URL, pages, linking, then it starts over. Just changing your domain will transfer your quality rating. So think about all of that when you're changing all of those things. Make sure you're improving. Let me just say that I love this upcoming question. It's about custom content, or rather a custom homepage that is geolocated by state. The content would be no index, so it wouldn't be duplicate. This was by the SEO kind of talking to their marketing team and coming up with a solution for this since they're only in a few states and they really want to have custom content for those states. For most systems, Google crawls will map back to California. It would only see the California content and none of the other areas. And if you no index that page, then you'd really be taking your homepage out of the search results and that would be a bad thing. John recommends generally in these situations that instead of redirecting, make it easier for the user to find that content, whether it's a dynamic banner with local specific links, those location pages would then be indexable. The other approach would be to swap out some sections with location dynamic content that would be in this case state specific. John did go on to say that landing pages for states that are similar in content wouldn't be problematic, but every city in every state, that would look spammy. It's okay to have 50 state-based homepages, even if the information isn't that different. This questioner is seeing good conversion rates on their app, but not so much on the mobile website. The question was about redirecting users to the app instead of keeping them on the page and how that might impact SEO. Uh, there were two things John wanted you to look at. Make sure not to redirect Googlebot or your site won't get indexed. And two, you're not going to have a lot of data for Core Web Vitals if you're redirecting people away from your site. So if that's important to you, it's something to consider. It also comes down to usability. Give your users a choice to go to the app or not is his suggestion. He also followed up by saying, test, test, test. See if it makes an impact. Okay, again, we're going to talk about region-specific subdomains. They wanted to know if the pages had to be exact, but just with different currency and the language. John said they don't. They need to be equivalent. But there's cases where a brand name may be different country by country, things like that. But Google uses the hreflang tag to determine the equivalent page from the site owner's point of view, and they swap them out. This is not something that Google does a check against the content, things like that. This is you say that this is your equivalent page, and Google will swap them out. The next question was about backlinks and removing spam backlinks once you hit that 2 megabyte file size limit on the disavow. John recommends to try to use the domain directive as much as possible. Also, don't try to clean up all the links. It's nearly impossible. You should focus on pages that look like you may have paid for them. Don't worry about links from spammy pages, copy pages, or random forum posts. It's not something you have to worry about. This next question is really interesting, and I like this a lot. It's, do I need to mark up content on my page with HTML semantic elements, for example, footer? John said, for some elements, it does give Google a bit more context about the content of your page. Things like footer don't really give them that much more info. Some amount of semantic HTML does make sense for SEO, usability, and browser compatibility. For me, I think it's really important to have this on your site, but it's less for SEO purposes and more for accessibility. And as you think about it, the more accessible your site is, the more audience is able to use your site, but also that means you're making things easier for everybody, including Google's crawlers. So I'd say if you have the option to be semantic, do it. 
but you don't have to go out of your way to define every single line on your site. Next, should we expect a drop in traffic if we remove AMP? The short answer, no. John goes on to talk about if you're moving from AMP pages that are very fast to slow pages that are non-AMP, then you might see a difference. There aren't any search features right now that are AMP only, and AMP is not a ranking factor. Again, AMP is not a ranking factor. There's a good Kinsta article about lead drops by using AMP, something like a 59% drops in leads. I did a link in the show notes to the blog page. Go ahead and take a look at that. Definitely a good read. But as you remove them, do expect, like anything, a short transition period where there may be some disruption. Hey, we've got another disavow question. They've got a few thousand links that they've disavowed, but they're worried that they may have done some legit ones. Should they just remove the disavow completely and see what happens? John says go for it. For most sites, you don't need a disavow file. It's easy to get things wrong. If you want, try to incrementally remove portions and see how it works. You'll probably find that you don't need the file at all. I found that the only time you really need it is if you had a previous SEO who bought links, maybe your client bought links, or if you've got someone doing negative SEO with paid links against you. Otherwise, just be like Elsa and let it go. You should be fine. All right, seeing the knowledge panel on mobile but not desktop, and does Wikipedia influence when someone would be shown? There shouldn't be a difference between mobile and desktop. However, some features are turned on and off due to real estate, so it may be the case. There are many sources where the information comes from, and you could see them in the knowledge panel, so that's a place to look. Also look at uh, Jason Barnard. He's mentioned by John. There's a great interview that I've linked in the show notes here on the blog page. may just lead you down a rabbit hole of knowledge panels, but some great information, someone definitely worth following. All right, a few uh, more questions here. Synonyms. The entire system's automated. There's nothing manual. John said 10 to 15% of queries are completely new every day, so this wouldn't be possible. And we've got several locations. What's the best way to include local schema? And this goes back to a similar previous question. Having location pages with different schema on each of them with things like address, phone number, hours is the best way to go. This questioner had 15 to 20 FAQs on their page and they wanted to know, should I include all the questions or just the ones I consider important in my schema markup. He said, yeah, if you really want to, you should make sure if it's marked up, it appears on the page. But otherwise, if you only want a handful, that's okay. Maybe you don't want one showing up. Maybe put a data no snippet on there. But unless you have something you don't want seen, it makes sense to have it all marked up. You're just giving the data to Google that much easier. Talking about hidden data and can Google use it, the question here was, can Google use content that is initially hidden, like accordions, dropdowns, etc.?" for specifically structured data. And John said, you're less likely to get featured snippets or people also ask on content that is initially hidden without user interaction. For FAQs, the question has to be visible. The answer does not necessarily need to be. And this questioner works on an e-commerce site that's considered an adult site by Google, and they're no longer seeing adult sites, but only generic ones when they do searches. There wasn't an answer, so they may be taking the question to chat and forwarding it to the safe search team. Again, this is a great example of maybe a, a little bit of an edge case and John taking the time to get this over to the right people and help someone out. So thanks, John. You're doing an awesome job out there. And then we had a few questions about product reviews and kind of the updates that rolled out. The in-depth review update rolled out to the U.S. When would it roll out to France or Germany? And there's no time frame. Could be any time. 
The questioner followed up with, how were these made? Human? Software? John said it was algorithmic approach with likely a lot of machine learning. Hey, we did it. A site not being indexed question. I knew we'd have one, right? We have one every week. This one wasn't bad, though. I actually like where they went with it. The question was more about coverage issues. Crawl currently not indexed, discovered not indexed, things like that. What are some things to help get some of these pages indexed faster? The questioner offered a few ideas. One, linking from the homepage. Two, link from existing indexed pages. Three, more backlinks. John agreed and added to make sure internal linking and, of course, overall site quality are up. You may want to concentrate the value also into fewer pages if you're just not seeing a lot of your pages getting indexed. The next question was about a manufacturer that published their product to about 10 to 20 sites, all with the same product description. Should I add unique content to my site? John said, yes, but don't add fluff content. It should be content that adds value to the user. Don't just fill extra text on the page with, for example, category info from Wikipedia. Yeah, I can't say more about this. This is almost like an obvious answer. It goes to kind of the core of what SEO is. Provide something better than everyone else is. You can still have the basic manufacturer description, but man, add something that's unique to your site that's a unique perspective that people are going to want to visit your site for that type of product because that's the information that you're providing. So 10x that quality. All right, that's all for today. I'll see you guys tomorrow.